welcome to the FileMaker Talk podcast. This is Matt Navarre. And this is Matt Petrowski. So what's up, Matt? FileMaker News. So I was skimming through, and we've got uh, one thing here. FindFileMakerDevelopers.com expands their offering to include employment opportunities. Now, you pointed out that there was a different domain for this other mm-hmm. than FindFileMakerDevelopers. Yep, FindFileMakerJobs.com. So basically, they've added a job board onto it. As you might remember, Matt, I was one of the first people to sign up for uh, FindFileMakerDevelopers.com as a pretty new way to get your name out there as a developer. Yep. You pay an annual fee, and you um, are in the directory. I'm not exactly sure how the money is going to work for the findfilemakerjobs.com, but if, you're an, uh, if you have an FFD account, you can post the job right from your site, uh, from your profile, uh, either for a contract position or for like a full-time position. Okay. I'm actually going to the site now. And it looks like Saliant is making a lot of, uh, they've got a lot of job openings on findfilemakerjobs.com. Yep. I would bet that it's going to be, this is going to be pretty heavily used by the different um, large companies. I see Solution Makers has one up there. PHP Programmer, Adobe, Flash Flex. Hey, you just talked about that with uh, Mm -hmm. Chris. Yep. I'm expecting Excelsis is probably going to have job postings up here. And probably a lot of other littler guys, too. You know, people who are looking for an in-house developer. Very cool. So that's a good thing. Something to check out. So uh, another item that we've got here as I skim through down, and you have to understand that I I am a little bit choosy on some of this stuff. There's like uh, Auto Navigator 2.0 is updated for $99. There's colorful dashboard style meters, which I peeked at but didn't look at. FM Butler, their auto sender, they've got a maintenance update. But here's an interesting one. FileMaker opens early registration for the 2009 developer conference. So that's something you're going to be able to do. It looks like it says there is a $300 off registration and that offer expires January 31st, 2009. And uh, let's see, what's the link to that? FileMaker.com slash DevCon. And as I understand it, this year, Advisor won't be involved in doing the DevCon show. They're just going to be doing the magazine. I've heard that through the rumor mill myself. Yeah, which is going to be interesting. So that means that a lot of the organizational tasks that I think, actually, Advisor has done a really good job with in the past, that's going to all fall to FileMaker now. Yes, and it will be uh, actually probably what most people are going to be interested in. And what I'm interested in is... Will there be a new version of FileMaker by the time we get to DevCon? Yeah, that will be interesting to find out. Um, I'm hoping and I'm guessing that there should be. (laughs) No comment. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing that there should be. (laughs) All right, next item we've got here is um, probably the last one that I have here on the news for today. FM Success Tips. That is another podcast, but they've got a news release that they are at 2,000 downloads, and they keep growing. And they've got some uh, good contributions by some respectable talent. Dwayne mm-hmm. Wright, I believe, giving them some tips. Yep. And these guys have it together. I mean, it is a classy podcast. I like how it sounds. They keep the segments super short, shorter than we keep them, because yep. we're just sort of... 
talking, talking out of. <laughs> <laughs> We're just shooting the breeze, talking about FileMaker, where there, theirs is very structured, very yeah, good. Yeah, it is. It's good. But also, we're trying to aim, I think, when, when we do the really big interviews, we're trying to get really deep into a topic. And I think they're they're not really aiming for that level. I think they're aiming more for the more intermediate and middle-level users. Wait, which that's they the are, same thing, intermediate and middle-level. Which they are definitely accomplishing. Yes, they are. It's very useful. I would strongly recommend that one for anybody as a beginner or intermediate FileMaker person. Yes. So that's what we've got for the news. For the news. Now, for It's Not FileMaker, my tip this week is um, the Logitech G5 Gaming Mouse, which is cool if you play games, but there's a button on the top that controls the mouse tracking sensitivity so you can, if you normally use it in fast mode to fly around your screen, you can push a button that slows it down, which is extremely useful in FileMaker layout work, because FileMaker is still pixel-oriented on its layouts. Um, one pixel matters, and it's kind of difficult to use when you've got your mouse set on turbo mode. So, good little tip. So, let me get this right. There's a, there's a button other than the wheel on the top of it? Yeah. You push that down, and then it slows down the mouse speed. Yes. So you'd have to move the mouse physically a lot farther in order to move the cursor an inch on the screen. Huh. And I think it has a slow, medium, and fast, and you preset what those speeds are in the software config. I don't even want to imagine what gamers are using that for. (laughs) Yeah, it wouldn't be anything like, say, targeting when you're using a scope or something like that in a first-person shooter. (laughs) (laughs) But, of course, I think a lot of the games actually have that feature built in where it automatically changes it. But I've never been much into the first-person shooter games. Have you? Uh, no, actually, I haven't. I've had some invitations, but, uh, I, boy, playing in the 90s, I played a ton of games. And I loved Warcraft, Warcraft 2. Yes, I was and into Star- Warcraft, and I was really into World of Warcraft 2 for a long time. But I have not played this. The I have intentionally not even come close to the latest... Uh, the WoW, the yeah. uh, MMORG or whatever it is, mm-hmm. massively multiplayer online gaming, yep. I, I would get sucked in. Yes, it's extremely addictive. I would get so sucked in, and it would be a bad thing. Yeah. But I am looking forward to Diablo, Diablo 3. I probably <laughs> For sure. get that, and I will play that. So that'll be a fun one. Uh, my... Uh, it's not FileMaker. Yeah. This is something that is actually, um, I love this. I use, uh, we had already talked, and you mentioned that you use Safari more than you do Firefox, but I happen to use Firefox all the time, 100%. And mm-hmm. that is because of its extensions. And this is this extension, you can find it at addons.mozilla.org, but look for the extension called QuickDrag. Now, what's cool about this is any URL that is formatted as an anchor tag in the browser, you can simply drag that, and according to the preferences, it will create a new tab for you. So I'm on, say, for example, FileMaker's website. This is actually a good example of how I use it. Say you're you're doing some research, you're trying to troubleshoot. Let's actually use uh, FM Forms. Mm-hmm. You've done a search. You've got a hit list of all of your different forms. Well, standard, you click on the URL. It takes you to that page. You then have to go back and hit the, you know, the back button. Well, that causes a hit on his server to reload that page. Not that I'm concerned about that, if that's how the site is set up. But it's much easier either to create a completely separate browser window 
or just use this quick drag extension and just drag every one of the URLs that you actually want to read. And it opens up every one of those URLs in a completely separate tab. Hmm. So for me, it makes it, it's very efficient for uh, doing a lot of research when you have a list of content that you want to see the detail on each of those items. But on top of that, the cool thing is, I don't know if this has happened to you, I'm sure it's happened to most everybody who's listening at least one point in time, if the URL is not formatted within an anchor tag, all you have to do is highlight the text, drag that, and it will resolve it and go to that URL. Hmm. So, you no copy and paste. You just highlight, drag that highlight, and it'll then go to that URL. Very awesome stuff. It's so for, easy to install that while you were talking about it, I downloaded and installed it. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, there's an extension that I used to use that probably works in Safari and in any other application that supports uh, what it's been coded against, which is probably however um, the Mac handles its text objects, which means it probably won't probably won't work in FileMaker, unfortunately. But it is uh, it was an extension that I used to use a lot called Ice Coffee. It's I C E C O F F E E. And you can find that on uh, Mac Update or Version Tracker or any of those. But this was a system-level preference pane as an extension that it recognized URLs in any application that supported that technology in the Mac. So anywhere you were at, you would be able to assign a key, and then if you clicked in the middle of that URL with that key held down, it would launch it in your browser. Yeah. So. So, so like that if you is, were in a text editor or a word processor or anything like that, it would just uh, open the link? Exactly. Hmm. In fact, I, I, that, I yeah, that, that would work in FileMaker, it. wouldn't it? Um, you would think, but FileMaker is not hooking into some of the, the core technologies that are in the OS. For example, mouse scrolling. Notice how that didn't come about for a long time in FileMaker. That's because they put it in themselves. They still did. They, I still believe, as far as my understanding goes, they're not hooked into the OS with regards to support for mouse scrolling. They had to custom code that into FileMaker to add that feature. Yeah, that's true. Actually, one of the built-in features in OS X, though, is the services drop-down window in any application. And I don't know if I've installed some extra ones, but when I go to that window right now, Open URL is one of the ones I have in there. I think it might just be a built-in OS X feature now. Maybe it is. I don't know. I just remember I loved being able to hold down the command key and just clicking in the middle of any URL, regardless of how it was formatted, and it would just open that browser page. Very useful. So that's my What's Not FileMaker. Let's get on to the topic of the day, which is scripting philosophy. And in particular, scripting and passing multiple parameters. Or parameters, as they say in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they do. <laughs> I don't think they either. They do either. But, but they should, because it's a cooler way to pronounce it. It's cooler when you don't pronounce it like that, and it sounds funny hearing it from someone else. That's how I remember how it's spelled and how many A's and E's there are in the word. No way, hoser. A? Oh, A. <laughs> you got you got a mouse in that bottle? Oh, eh? man. 
we're gonna <laughs> let's 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 just skip this humor thing. We'll quit. <laughs> it's a good thing Doesn't we have day jobs. Back. Doesn't that take you back? That was so such a funny movie. It was. It does take know. you back. Oh, cuckoo, 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 cuckoo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was a great cup. Oh, man. Okay. So, scripting styles, multiple parameters. When you script, Matt, what is your basic approach? What are the main things you're trying to achieve? Well, the ideal, as far as I'm concerned is to be able to isolate each of your values and also being able to put them in any order you want, which is having named parameters. Now, that is the goal, as far as I'm aware, for most all developers once you hit that point of, I need to pass more than one parameter. The question comes down to, how do you do it? And that's where we get into the discussion and the debate because I actually had this same debate with uh, John Sindelar of Seed Code actually just a few days ago of how things are passed. And it turns out that you use his method, correct? Yep. He wrote a custom function called get parameter or get param, I think I've shortened it. It's a way that you don't have to have a set parameter and a get parameter function. You just use a get parameter, and then you just use some simple logic when you're setting your parameter. So if you have a button that calls a script, you use a specific formatting. It's name value pairs. So it would be like layout equals detail, and then semicolon to separate your name value pairs. And then action equals delete, or action equals create. And that way you can set as many parameters as you want in whatever order. And then in your script, you use the custom function that um, opens up and reads that parameter and grabs out just the one value you're looking for. So you would, let's say if your custom function was called get param, you would invoke that function and say, find me the name of the, find me, you know, see, get param layout. And then that would return detail in the example I just used. Yes. And so essentially, the way that I classify multiple parameters and the different techniques is just based on the style that's used. And so the style that I sort of identify as that, and it's basically almost directly analogous to the internal portion of a let statement, correct? Mm -hmm. I consider that to be a literal format of passing script parameters, as opposed to the format that I prefer which is a function format of passing parameters. And where I got my original method was uh, from a developer, Mikhail Adoshin, where he uses a separate function for each of the two sides, one for getting mm -hmm. and one for setting. And then there's a function beyond that that I use, which actually automatically sets up your variables within the script for you, and it utilizes whatever functions you use for getting and setting. So there, in, in essence, there are three functions, three custom functions that are required in order to get inbound script parameters. Okay. And when I mention the difference between um, how I call mine function-based parameters, whereas with yours, I consider those to be literal-based parameters, there's another method that I'm aware of that I know that uh, Micah Woods over at SmartPill likes to use, and I think Jeff Coffey used to use this. I don't know if he is, but he was a big proponent of mm -hmm. using XML in order to um, store and manage your named parameters. Hmm. But I've not used XML myself. 
if you have a button that calls a script, say, to sort a column of records or something like that, what parameters do you send? In the actual little edit line, and it's uh, it's funny that you bring this up because it's a, a conversation that between John and I earlier we were having was when you get up to be a more advanced developer, you don't want to click that edit button and have to go into FileMaker's calculation dialog box or you want to avoid it if you can, if you can simply just type into the little, you know, the one string right. field area in the script parameter. And he likes the natural language method, and, and that's the one that you're using. What I don't like about that natural language or the literal method is that you have to actually decipher more, at least from my standpoint. Because the way that it, when it you see the line... What you see in my solution is, and there's a long version called script.param.set. Mm -hmm. And then within that, then you have two values. And it's separated by the semicolon because it's, a, it's just a FileMaker function. It's a right. FileMaker custom function. Uh -huh. But in order to pass your next parameter, so let's say the first parameter was, let's use a, for, a customer name. So it would be first, and then you would have a field reference. So it's script param set then your parentheses and in that first semicolon and then the field reference the next script parameter that you want to pass you just concatenate that with the ampersand so you then you have an ampersand and then you have another function parameter which is script param set mm -hmm. now one of the things that I do is if the solution is not for public consumption I will do a shorthand version and a lot and other languages do this um, the other system that I'm most familiar with is Drupal. They have a, a bunch of functions that are simply just a single letter. And one of the arguments that uh, John and I were going back and forth between was he wants everything, or he prefers everything to be completely understandable and doesn't okay. like to use like a shorthand syntax because mm -hmm. you can't easily read it. But my argument was, well, everything is something that you have to learn. And at the point in time that you understand that P as a custom function, stands for setting parameters, or SP for set parameter versus GP. Once you learn that, you don't really forget it if you continue to use it. Right. And so really, it's super short. It, for me, it's, it's P in parentheses. You have the, the, the label, and then you have the value. If you need another one, you have an ampersand and whatever. So do you still label your parameters, or you just put them in a certain order, like you said, first and second? I was I was referring to the first name uh, using first as the portion of a name so it'd okay. be first okay. and then the field reference to the first name field and then you would have last so the first parameter of the function that's used for the parameter I know that sounds confusing that is the label and the second one is the value right that makes so sense so you still have name value pairs exactly that way when you go to read the parameter in the script you can just call the name, and it gets you the value. Correct. All I have to do is reference the actual value with the opposite function, which is script param get. That's where there's a, a very, very cool function that I absolutely love by um, Alex, Alex Zwev. And I've done a number of articles on the magazine site about this called function scripting. And what Alex's function does it's it was originally called um, assign params, but I call it script params assign. So I have script param get, 
script param set and script param assign is what happens is you in the name of your script you specify what the inbound parameters are so you have the name of the script and then you have uh, braces and then you have however many parameters there are really you you don't have to assign your parameters you don't have to use the set variable script step Mm-hmm. What you do is you use one set variable step, and you set it to you can set it to vars, you can set it to result, you can set it to this value to whatever. But this one custom function called script param assign takes a look at the name of the script, uses that name to determine if, according to the parameter functions that you have set up are actually inbound within the whole of the get script parameter mm-hmm. value, the, the native FileMaker one. If all of the values that are required are there and do exist, then that one set variable will pass as a Boolean true or false. So the whole remainder of your script basically can hinge on where all of the parameters received that are required, all wow. within one set variable step. That is a beautiful abstraction layer. And so, for me, the the understand the, the readability, I should say, when you're looking at the, the script parameters, the reason that I, I'm not as fond of the literal version is when you look at a literal string of FileMaker text with a bunch of quotes, you don't know where one parameter necessarily starts and where the other one ends. You have to look for the equal sign you have to look to the right of the equal sign and the left of the equal signs. And you may have ampersands that are concatenating either a value together or that ampersand may be concatenating yet another set of additional parameters within your multiple parameters. For me, it's much easier to scan within that line. And because of the nature of the parentheses, you can see where one function that defines a parameter starts and where the next one, or where it stops and where the next one starts. And that's why I like it. Makes sense. I'll have to play with that more. I was going to say, is it useful enough to convert? <laughs> it might be. I mean, the method, I, I, it does solve a problem that's a real problem for me. So it's worth definitely worth looking at. I have, as I think about this subject, I, I really think I decided probably two or three years ago uh, when I really started fully going down the path of multiple parameters, I guess that was what with FileMaker 8.5 or 8.0. Uh, you know, uh, immediately upon 7, it didn't really fully sink in. But as I started using it more, I took a look at all the different methods out there at that time and found the one I liked and stuck with it. Yeah. One of the concerns that John had with the regards to the readability of scripts is in your scripts, when you initially declare your variables that are going to be used throughout the remainder of that script, you can clearly see what you have access to. One of the advantages of this technique called function scripting is by putting the name of the expected parameters in the name of the script, that is the single solitary location where you define what absolutely must be within that script and you can also uh, pass in optional parameters. You can use the, um, not the, the brackets, but the, the braces. I may be confusing those, you know, the squiggly ones. Mm-hmm. 
anything within those is optional. It's almost exactly like FileMaker's native functions. The difference is you're not using parentheses, you're using the uh, braces. Right. So when you use that script param assigns, because it's actually referencing the name of the script, there is, without the, throughout the rest of your script, there's no conditional logic required in order to test for whether or not parameters or exist. This one function takes care of that for you, and the code with regards to what is or is what is required and what is optional is in one single location, and that is the name of the script. So it's not possible to uh, confuse your logic right. wherever you put the items. It makes sense. But on the other Probably. hand, you're polluting your script names with function. It actually True. is more than just the name of a script. It actually matters, and if a user goes and renames the script, it could actually break stuff. Yes, that is true. But that's where you get into uh, standards and saying, if we're, in a, if we're going to be in a development team, we're going to adhere to these standards, and if you're, you're only going to be able to rename the script unless you know what you're doing. Right. But on top of that, what happens if the, name, if the script is renamed? What happens is that script will fail because remember the very first step is script param assign meaning I want you to assign all of the variables that are expected according to the name of the script and if they are not then I'm going to do something else and that's so, where you can throw a, a like a dialogue that says sorry this script is not coded properly so that assign function must use like a let parameter and then it defines single dollar variables with all of the incoming parameters? That's almost exactly what it does. Okay. And it has, it internally has all the checking to find out whether or not you passed in all of the expected name parameters, whether it should set the optional parameters, and if those criteria don't aren't met, then it returns a Boolean false, which means I couldn't create all of the variables that were expected according to the way that this script was named what do you want me to do? And that's where you can have an else portion that says, you know, fail, throw an error, this script was either renamed or improperly programmed. So what that is, is that is a compile time, well, since FileMaker doesn't compile, but in mm -hmm. other languages, that would be considered a compile time error, meaning this won't work because you're not providing what is absolutely required. Right. And that, to me, is a big advantage. Yep, I can see that. I actually, I think I sort of side with John Sindelar mostly on issues like this to try to make it really express and simple to follow. Because my goal for most of the systems that I develop is to actually make it so that uh, someone who who d wasn't the primary developer and wasn't involved with the project all along could actually go in and understand it. And so if you do it this way, uh, even though it certainly offers a lot of advantages, you've got some aspects to it which are kind of invisible. And you have to really know where to go looking, or you have to put some lines of documentation in every script to do it. So I actually usually like to define and declare all of my variables at the top of the script. You know, dollar company, dollar action, dollar layout, dollar context, whatever. Yeah. And I can, can see, see the validity in that a lot of the times, but for me it's just as easy to read the name of the script. You know, on the other hand, having just said that, if you look at the data viewer and you're stepping through one line at a time... As soon as you hit that one line, you're going to see all your variables be populated right then. Yes. In one, in one uh, step as opposed to 
one at a time. So it's actually just as good that way. Actually, it is. That is a nice feature. When you hit that, when you hit the one step that says, you know, result script parameters assign. As soon as you step over that, mm-hmm. boom! Every one of the variables that the script does want to use is right there. How many variables do you use? Do you sometimes use quite a few, like you know, ten? Um, here is actually a, a, this is a, another extension of a, a good topic. For example, one of the scripts that I have, which would be very confusing if you went in to look at it, is I use a generic set uh, show dialog script. Now, I use a show dialog script, and embedded within that script is the ability to support multiple varieties of showing a dialog. For example, the FileMaker dialog is one opportunity. Showing a window as if it was a dialog is another opportunity. And then also, down the line, if I wanted to, I could add in functionality for using a separate plugin, which has more features with regards to showing the dialog. The problem is my script would not be able to account for all of the different possible variations of what could be passed into all of the different possible dialogues, but I still want to use one dialogue script. So what's the solution? Well, that's when I have embedded parameters within a parameter. So that's Hmm. where we're getting... um, That's kind of an array, maybe? Yeah. They do this in other, other languages. This is where you have to really know... I mean, you have to go into the, when you're programming in like PHP, and if you're trying to learn another lang- another system like Drupal or mm-hmm. Joomla or anything else, you have to read the code in order to understand what the code expects. If you want to make something so readable that a person doesn't have to go into a custom function to open it up to see what that custom function expects, then you're not taking advantage, in my opinion, of the technology as much as you could. You're trying to make things easy instead of highly optimized. And so when you pass multiple parameters, that's when you need to put the documentation within the script. So let's take this show dialog. This show dialog example I'm talking about has two expected parameters, method and contents. And that's it. That's all it will ever have. Now what happens is method actually specifies what we're going to show. Are we going to use FileMaker's dialog? That would be one method. Mm -hmm. Are we going to use a layout as a method to show a dialog? That would be a second method. Mm -hmm. Are we going to use a plugin? And that would be the third method. Now, within the contents parameter, that would contain all of the individual parts that any one of those given methods might need. Right. The text of the dialog, the number of buttons, the text on the buttons, and if there was input fields and things like that. Exactly. And the way that I pass that is simply formatted as the internal portion of a let statement. So on the inside of a let statement, you can actually define locally scoped variables. You know, you can use the dollar sign. So within the parameter of content on this show dialog script that has two expected parameters, the method and the content, let's take the method of FileMaker. That's going to use a FileMaker dialog. I automatically have that set up for just one button. It's a default OK. I could have an alternative with two buttons, but since you can't programmatically put the names, it's sort of a moot point. But in within the content, are it's a string, which is the internal portion of a let statement formatted with dollar sign message 
and then whatever the message is going to be, and that's uh, quote escaped, and then also uh, title, dollar sign title, and whatever the title of the dialogue is going to be. So the internal portion of the script then uses yet another custom function, which basically is um, something like let.eval, which basically just takes that string, formatted as the internal portion of a let statement, passes it to this custom function, which literally puts it inside a let function, and then evaluates that, thereby creating your additional variables that are needed. So in that sense, you have to put the documentation directly within the script of what those internal variables within your script variable are actually, what, what's expected. And that's where it gets uh, messy in terms of deciphering you know, all the different parts. Right, but powerful. Uh, super powerful, because once you know that you're only using one script throughout your whole solution for any and all dialogues, and that one script can decide based on the inbound parameter, am I going to show a dialogue based on FileMaker's dialogue, a plugin, or a layout, and just let's take the guts of whatever you're passing as the contents and parse those out? It's, you know, your number of scripts is you know, minimal throughout your whole solution. Yep. I've gone that way for other things like sorting and for printing. I have a single sort script for that is called by everything. So even my report scripts would call this script. And then that way, all my sorting, I only have to go to one place. So that script basically has a whole bunch of if-elses in there, or else-ifs, to say which parameter am I sorting on. Am I sorting on company name? Am I sorting on last name? And then it just has a sort command in it, because... Uh, you have to that has to be a that has to have the sort function stored in the command. You can't abstract that in FileMaker any further than that. Yeah. Definitely. I mean you're always gonna have a lot of branching, no matter where, and no matter how much you want to what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say the co all the code has to go somewhere. If you're going to manage three different styles of dialogues, you're either going to manage all of those within one script you're going to manage them, all three of them, in different scripts. You're going. The code is all going to have to exist somewhere. And so it, all this comes down to how do you want to manage the code? You know, is it more efficient to do it all within one script? Does it make sense to break it out into three scripts? Do I need three custom functions for multiple parameters, or do I want to have just one custom function? And that's that's a matter of style and preference. Yeah, I, th I think you need three. I I only need one, but you need three. <laughs> <laughs> I am a I am a custom function fanatic. When I started, when f custom functions came out, I I never used them. Really? I didn't I didn't use them at all. But now, I I could probably say that out of the solutions that I the solutions and tools that I've been doing, half of all of my FileMaker code is in custom functions. That's because amazing. It's just so efficient to have your code in one single location. That's amazing. I, I would say not even 1% of the code in my solutions is in custom functions. For me, it's all in scripts. And I, uh, scripts. I, and uh, one re part of the reason for that is I often work on teams where there are several developers working on it, and there's testers and people actually using the database in a live maybe in a live fashion, and even if it's not being developed in a live fashion, it's certainly going to be maintained in a live fashion. 
you know, changes might be made to the system on the fly. I guess custom functions can be edited on the fly, but if you make a mistake, they have pretty far-reaching if you change something and you modify a custom function and add a parameter or delete a parameter, it breaks a lot of stuff. And scripts I really like, and I choose to use all my code there that I can because they're so multi-user friendly and live system friendly and multiple developer friendly in ways that calculations and custom functions just aren't. That's true. You're totally right. That is the, one of the shortcomings is adding parameters to custom functions is a problem and I should have clarified I was sort of I'm mentally excluding anything that deals with the data I'm referring to just the logic end of um, interaction so between scripts and custom functions I do put uh, a lot of stuff into custom functions but uh, when you add that one parameter the one the solution that I've come up against that potential problem is that as soon as I am going to modify any custom function by adding or removing a uh, an additional parameter, the very next thing that I do, or just prior to taking it off or adding, is to go up to that database design report and output it, just as HTML, let it open, and then do a search across that. And I know that that's, that's prohibitive when you're dealing with a super large solution. Because you can't just drop that out. Know, as quickly as you'd like. But if you do have a previous version you know, that you've done relatively recently, you can search that very quickly for all of the different references. Great stuff. I'm totally going to look into this. In fact, I was really wishing that there was a sample file that illustrated some of these techniques. So now the gauntlet's been thrown down yet again. <laughs> well, I've got, I've got an article on it, and then the people that have adopted it, they love it. Yeah. They, they absolutely love it. It's called function scripting. Uh, you might be able to search the the site or search Google. but uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. That's one I hadn't yet checked out. The, the description of it didn't wasn't as clear as this description is, so now I for sure will go look there. Well, tell me what you think on the uh, next time we talk. Will do. So remember to leave us feedback in the iTunes store by searching for the podcast and enter a feedback. Send us any information at matt at filemakertalk.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail on our Skype, FileMaker Talk. All right. Well, then that uh, sounds like it wraps us up for this week. It does. Thanks again, Matt. Hey, thanks, Matt. And I'll uh, talk to you next time. <laughs>